BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's Monday, May 1st, 2017, and you're listening to Inquiring Minds. I'm Kishore Hari. Indre will be back next week. Each week, we bring you a new, in-depth exploration of the space where science, politics, and society collide. We endeavor to find out what's true, what's left to discover, and why it all matters. You can find us online at motherjones.com slash inquiringminds, inquiringshow.tumblr.com, or on Twitter and Facebook. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes or any other podcasting app. Climate change has dominated science headlines the past few weeks, from the recent marches that brought millions out into the streets, or to the New York Times hiring climate skeptic Brett Stevens to their op-ed team. One man has been in the center of much of the discussion, Bill Nye. Bill Nye just launched a new show on Netflix entitled Bill Nye Saves the World, was an honorary co-chair for the March for Science, and participated in the People's Climate March. Bill has never been one to shy away from engaging climate deniers in the most public way possible. Just check out his recent CNN appearance with physicist and climate denier William Happer. I talked with Bill last year about his approach to communicating climate change and what he hopes will change in the future. Note, we did conduct this interview last year before the 2016 presidential election in case that generates any confusion. So with that, we'll take a short break and be back with my interview with Bill Nye. Bill Nye, welcome to Inquiring Minds. It's so good to be here. So you're the CEO of the Planetary Society. You're one of our chief science popularizers, defenders of evolution, but you've settled on climate change as being a big priority. Why? Well, uh, because it's the, the it's a great big world, and we have 7.3 billion people trying to live here, and they're going to be 9 billion, and climate change is going to affect almost every one of us. Now, keep in mind, if you look at my Big Blast of Science, which is a kid's book I wrote in 1993, I have a climate change demonstration in there 23 years ago. I was concerned about this. So th- was there a moment? You know, back 20-some years ago, is that you decided that climate change was going to be an area that you needed, that people needed to focus on? Oh, yeah, I think it was in 1988 when uh, James Hansen, who is a scientist from NASA, testified in front of the U.S. Congress about climate change. And uh, there was a convergence for me also. Uh, I took astronomy from Carl Sagan. I took one class from him. 
I'm not like it was not his star student. I didn't suck. I was just a, a guy in class. And he talked about nuclear winter. This would be where you explode so many nuclear weapons, so much debris is thrown into the atmosphere that the world cools off for long enough to cause trouble to big living things like you and me. Then just a few years later, people found uh, this layer of iridium uh, metal around the world, it was the Alvarezes, and they determined that there was an impactor, a comet or a meteor that hit the Earth, meteorite that hit the Earth 65 million, 66 million years ago. And uh, so there was this convergence for me that you could change the climate of a whole planet if you had enough dust in the air. And then the climate models that Sagan and Pollock had developed, these would be computer programs, back, back in the early 1980s, converged or merged with the climate models that people at NASA and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric or the Weather Service had been compiling. And I, it occurred to me that it was quite possible to change the climate of a whole planet if you had enough people doing it all at once. And so I've been concerned about climate change for decades. And you've been one of the leading voices in climate communication. And we're kicking off a series of conversations with a diverse set of climate scientists. And I wanted to start by asking you, where, what is your strategy around how you communicate climate and to whom? Well, the thing for me right now is to, uh, in hockey terms, to skate the deniers off the play. And uh, the deniers have been very successful in introducing this idea that scientific uncertainty, plus or minus some small percentage, is exactly the same as plus or minus 100% <laughs> doubt about the whole thing. And they've held the world back, and especially the United States back, in addressing climate change. So uh, I, I want climate – the big thing is I want climate change to be an issue in this year's election, presidential election. I don't think it's a controversial thing to say that the U.S. president is the single most influential person on earth. So if we were to have a U.S. president who's a climate change denier, uh, the world is headed for more trouble than it needs. But there's this old adage that you don't feed the trolls, and there is some estimates that only about 11% of the U.S. population are quote-unquote deniers, uh, in, according to a, a Yale climate survey. So are we actually talking to a group that's influential? Well, then why, has, why don't we have wind and solar power on, on industrial scales everywhere? Uh, and I although the populace uh, in this Yale survey may say it's only that 11% are deniers, the deniers have been very successful in stymieing a lot of legislation that advances uh, renewable energy. You've become much more uh, aggressive is the only term that I could come up with in terms of how you're approaching some of these uh, these deniers. Just this week, you released a video taking on a public bet against a weatherman uh, who had well, been uh, a denier. Mind, the weatherman challenged me. He, he started it. He started it. Yeah. <laughs> but why such a strategy where you're you're kind of getting in their face and as a you know, climate change believer and evangelist. It's great. It really is. Uh, I mean, you're talking I about love you. it. Yeah. You're, I, you're an evangelist. Yeah, yeah, I love it. 
I love seeing that. I'm wondering how the rest of the population that's sort of more in the middle is is viewing those confrontations. Well, I'm I've been counseled and I strongly believe there's a lot to it. If we if the world, if the United States, let's say, were talking about climate change in the way we're talking about gun control, the way we're talking about or not control, the way we're talking about second amendment rights. If we were talking about climate change at the same with the same intensity we're talking about black lives matter we would be doing something about it so the science is well established and the scientists have done their best to convey the seriousness of the situation nevertheless here in 2016 presidential election uh, climate change is hardly mentioned i was on a television program recently where they presented statistics i didn't go researching these, but in the debates, the presidential debates, there were 22 climate questions out of over 1,300 questions. And that, in my view, is inappropriately low. And so, uh, and all the candidates have, man- have, understandably, deflected questions about climate change to questions about cap and trade, which is a specific uh, idea to address climate change, which is not popular. So uh, the uh, seriousness of climate change has not been addressed by candidates right now. In the context of the election, what what do you think this should look like? What is a legitimate climate change discussion look like in terms of debates and public policy during an election cycle? Uh, Well, what are you going to do about climate change, Mr. or Ms. Candidate? What's your plan for that? In the same way, you have a plan for education, you have a plan for taxes. There's one candidate who wants to abolish the IRS, which is a controversial thing. <laughs> and where would the government income come from and so on? Uh, along that line, it'd like, I'd like people to have, candidates rather, to have a plan for addressing climate change in an aggressive way. I mean, to me, this is scientifically, it's not controversial. It's political problem that's much bigger. Political problem is much more difficult to solve. I mean, we definitely agree there's no controversy about the science here. But well, if, you and I agree. Yes, you and I agree. <laughs> yeah. I think there's a lot of people out there that agree, too. Uh, but at the same time, Pew re- uh, uh, releases their annual survey of public pri- uh, policy priorities, and climate change ranks 16 out of 19. Yeah, see, so that's what I'm trying to change this season. That's what I don't think is appropriate. I think it should be much higher. So how do we change that? Do we change that by attacking the politicians or or, or looking at the, the public writ large? Well, I, in order to raise, to, to make the conversation louder or to have more people participate in the conversation, I have gone after the two notorious climate deniers who have gone after me. And I have... You know, social media is so important nowadays. I have a great many followers in social media, so I want them to get excited about climate change. And the big thing is I want people to vote, people to vote in the 2016 election. And when they vote, I want people to take the environment and the climate into account. For those that aren't up to date on your activities, which are these two climate denying groups or individuals you're referring to? Well, once a guy named, these are both guys I ended up on Fox News with 
sort of um, unwittingly. I went to the studio here in Los Angeles and they were, each of them was in a studio with the host in New York is the way I recollect it. It was getting to be several years ago. And they, um, each of them, uh, we, we would deny the facts. We would not be able to agree on the facts. And one of them is Mark Morano, who just released a film where he got Sarah Palin to say, uh, at the uh, screening of the film, which was on the, in the Rayburn building on Capitol Hill. He managed to get that done somehow. He got Sarah Palin to say that she knows as much about science as I do. Bill Nye does. Uh, to me, that's, to many people, that's an extraordinary claim. Uh, and then the other guy is Joe Bastardi, who published a thing online in an unusual journal called the Patriot Post saying that, uh, he presented two graphs. One of this, one of them, the scale is too big, it goes four and a half billion years. And it's, it's actually an old graph that is no longer used. It refers to some geologic, uh, time scales that are no longer in use. It has tertiary instead of paleogene and so on. And, uh, it masks the phenomenon when you go four and a half billion years. This is before all the continents are where they are today, for crying out loud. Before bacteria, I mean, uh, uh, cyanobacteria were making oxygen and so on. And then the other graph is just 11 years. And that's too short a time frame to see the phenomenon of climate change. So uh, we all hope in the scientific community that this will be, this year will be the tipping point and we will elect somebody who is going to address climate change. Bear in mind right now on the conservative side, this is in the spring of 2016. Each of the three people remaining in the presidential race are climate deniers. Now, after they pick somebody, I will not be surprised if that person and his running mate come out and say, well, we've, we've thought about it and climate change is a very serious issue. And they, then they present a plan because they, I don't think they can get elected. I don't think anyone can get elected without a substantial fraction of the millennial votes people in their 18s to 32s. And so they're going to, whoever gets elected is going to have to court that cohort. And that's not a bad thing. It's a thing. So we'll see. So you're putting yourself in this position by taking on deniers, by essentially, re, you know, picking fights with them in a lot of ways. You're putting... Well, keep in mind, and it's my point of view, they picked fights with me. Okay, they started it. Fair enough, fair enough. But you're putting yourself in this position where you're you're the subject of ridicule, as you said. Sarah Palin, you know, said she's as much of a scientist as you as you are. Uh, that's a lot of personal punishment to take. Uh, how uh, how does that sort of uh, uh, resolve to you? How does that feel to to be the lightning rod? Well, is it I difficult? I can do. I feel it's something I can do, and I, everybody I have consulted with the real climate scientists. And these are people that the deniers do their work very hard to discredit. Michael Mann, Lee Kump, William Ruddeman. These are people I've been corresponding with about the efficacy of this approach. And uh, each person, uh, Gavin Schmidt, each person has said, well, look, what we've been doing hasn't quite worked. So uh, try it. So I'm. Oh, uh, so it's an experiment of sorts. Of sorts. But when you put the money out there, I think that uh, 
well, I guess literally raises the stakes, but I think it also raises awareness. So that $10,000 bet is my money. That's it's I'm, it's not about donate to your favorite charity. It's not about mayors of cities saying, well, my donuts are better than your donuts or whatever mayors bet on our crab cakes are better than your crab cakes. This is my money. And uh, I, I just tell you right now in uh, right before Earth Day 2016, I'd be very surprised if either of the de- deniers take the bet. The bet is that 2016 will be among the top 10 hottest years on record. It's not that controversial. Everybody knows it's going to be one of the top 10 hottest years. And by the way, to Senator Cruz, who's talked a lot about the satellite data, because the satellite data that we're talking about use radar or microwaves interacting with the mesotroposphere, the middle of the troposphere where the water vapor is, 2016 will probably be the hottest year by satellite records. It's not, it's not for sure, but probably. And so I don't know if anybody will hold Senator Cruz to account on this when it happens, but, uh, this is one more brick in the, uh, anti-denial ziggurat. You know, I just saw a report that came out, I think yesterday from scientists saying through the first three months, we're already up uh, 2.2 degrees Fahrenheit. So we're well on track for it to be the hottest year on record, period. Yeah, the reason the reason 2016 might not be the hottest year is uh, the El Nino is tapering off. Uh, the thing that made last year, 2015, especially hot is that's winding down. And so 2016 may not quite be the hottest year, but it, don't be surprised if it is. So when I turn on my television and hear somebody talking about climate change, it's often you, which is great. I love seeing you on TV. I'm not complaining about seeing you on TV, but I'm wondering where these climate scientists that you're talking about uh, corresponding with, where do they fit into this equation? What responsibility uh, do they have and what can we expect from them around communicating their work? Well, you know, Michael Mann has written a book, The Climate Wars and the Hockey Stick. And these guys, uh, Gavin Schmidt, he works at the Goddard Institute for Space Studies, which is part of NASA, National Aeronautics and Space Administration, and they publish their work. They publish their graphs. Yesterday you saw the news story. And that, I believe, was from the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA. And everybody, the science is settled. Everybody's very concerned, and they publish their stuff. And the IPCC, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, uh, has published its work, and it's that stuff's all done in English, even in France. It is done in English, and they parse every word to get every country to sign on to these very carefully worded diplomatic agreements. But in the science community, everybody's very concerned. The science is settled, as the saying goes, but the deniers have been extraordinarily successful. The Head of the science committee uh, in the House, Lamar Smith, has a picture of the Hubble from the Hubble Space Telescope on his wall. But in general, he does not approve any Earth science research because he has some real hardcore Tea Party people in his congressional district, and he has to he has to work with them. And so uh, these are this political the political challenges are very big. You know, and plus these, I make money outside of my academic obligations. You know, I mean, these guys, they have jobs. And, you know, like Cuccinelli, the 
attorney general of the Commonwealth of Virginia had all these freedom of information things and stuff against Michael Mann who were using Commonwealth dollars to investigate climate change. So he left. In other words, he left the Virginia education system to go to Penn State because like enough, you know, like I'm not going to put up with this anymore. He gets envelopes with white powder in it, this harassment of his children. I mean, it's, these guys, it's, they're just worn out. I mean, how much do they want, do you want them to put up with? The scientists do their science job and the politicians are working, they're working with uh, whatever they can. By all accounts, there's a group of Republicans in the United States Congress that's ready to address climate change. They're ready to hold hands and jump in, but they need just the right leadership with the right timing to get to work this this year's election. It's a complicated business. So if I'm an average Joe and I'm looking at this election, what power do I have to influence that small group of Republicans that you're mentioning actually doing something about climate change? Vote! 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 And uh, everybody's got to vote. And just take the, cli the climate and the environment into account when you do. And then Congress... Members of Congress and Senate respond very strongly to your emails. You know, I, as the head of the Planetary Society, we advocate for space exploration on both sides of the aisle. Space brings out the best in both sides. And so we hope the same will be true of climate legislation, climate regulation. You know, but when you have presidential candidates saying we're going to abolish the Environmental Protection Agency... I mean, I'm of an age where I remember people dying in their sleep in Pennsylvania from the air being so bad. And we all talk about the Cuyahoga River and Cleveland catching on fire. I mean, uh, we don't want to go back to that. Nobody wants to go back to that. So, so there are a great many very reasonable people in Congress who are playing their hand, they're dealt with these gerrymandered congressional districts, and they have to please an extraordinary minority. But uh, just everybody vote this year. That's my big thing. So where do we go from here? Are you optimistic that things are going to change in a direction that we're actually going to see more U.S. action around climate change? I tell everybody, you've got to be optimistic. If you have a pessimistic leader, you're not going to go anywhere. You've got to believe the problem can be solved. And uh, just as a tip of the hat, I'm not on the board. I'm not a member or anything. Of, there's an organization called the Solutions Project solutionsproject.org, uh, that has done an analysis. And they, these are, it's led by a civil engineering professor at Stanford, uh, Stanford University. They're, they're satisfied that the United States could run every state on, uh, renewable energy by the year 2050 if we just decided to do it. And the example I give everybody, I'm of a certain age. Both of my parents were veterans of World War II. Both of my parents are interred at Arlington National Cemetery. My father was a prisoner of war for almost four years. My mother was an, a cryptographer in the U.S. Navy. So these people solved a global crisis in less than five years. They got it done. They won the war. So we can do this in 30 years or 25 years. We can do this if we just decide to do it. Let's go, people. As the saying goes, you might be familiar with it. Quit your bitching. Let's get to work. That's an incredible sentiment. I mean, in all of these 
battles, we need allies as well. And it's just it's not just the community. Do you see the potential of folks like Pope Francis, somebody that we consider oh, sort of great. outside the science spectrum, being able to really shift public policy as much as the engaged science populace? Absolutely. You know, and this and as we say, at this level, this is not rocket surgery. <laughs> There are 7.3 billion people breathing and burning an atmosphere that used to sustain fewer than 2 billion. And the population has uh, more than doubled in my lifetime. And the atmosphere is fantastically thin. It, it's uh, If you could drive straight up at highway speeds, you'd be above the breathable part of the atmosphere in five minutes. And that's why we're changing the climate, and that's why we got to do something about it. There's just a lot of us breathing an atmosphere that isn't especially thick. So you don't, the Pope can understand this. People with any reasonable training in mathematics, I'm talking about elementary kids, middle school kids, can understand a graph. You can see what's going on. This is the whole thing, the scale of it. The last two and a half centuries is where the action is. That's where we put in all this extra carbon dioxide and that's where the world has gotten warm very, very fast. And I'm, I remember doing a job for Exxon in 1994, and these executives were talking about the wind turbine business that they had had a small role in, but they abandoned that in uh, the 1990s. And you may have seen the documents the New York Times discovered in 1977, where before Exxon was ExxonMobil, where their scientists found, hey, man, if we stay in this business, we're going to make the world warm. And all those people were dismissed. So uh, we could turn these industries around, have the oil companies go into the energy business, not the oil and gas business. When we build wind turbines, they have to be built in the United States with U.S. jobs, U.S. workers doing U.S. things. You can't outsource all of that. You can't outsource the mounting of solar panels on the roofs of industrial warehouses and homes. That's got to be U.S. jobs. That's good. When I put solar panels on my house in 2007, there were four companies that I could call. Now there, are, I believe there are over 50 in my area that I could call to mount solar panels. This is solvable. Let's go, people. We can do this. And my last question is, it's about six months to the U.S. presidential election. What can we expect to see out of you in, that, in those six months? Well, uh, if, if both candidates on both sides start talking about climate change uh, and present reasonable plans, you know, then uh, my work will be done. <laughs> but if, if people continue to pursue this denial, denialist, extreme doubt, point of view and policies that they promote, then I will continue to combat it in the the ways that I can think of. Because everybody, the scientific ways, this is to say reasonable evaluation, critical thinking about the evidence, that's, we've done that and the evidence is overwhelming, but it hasn't quite been effective. So I'm trying these other things. So this is the first and only time I'm going to say this. Let's hope we don't hear much out of you over the next six months then, because it means we're doing something right. Yeah, yeah. Bill Nye, thank you so much for joining us on Inquiring Minds. Thank you. Let's change the world.
So that's it for another episode. I want to thank you for joining us for this installment of Inquiring Minds. And we'd also like to thank our supporters on Patreon, especially David Noel, Michael Galgool, Kyle Raihala, Joel, Jonathan Worsey, Jushi Lin, Eric Clark, John Kirk, Jordan Millar, Herring Chen, Son Johnson, and Nick Cadillac. You can visit our website at inquiringshow.tumblr.com and you can support us at patreon.com slash inquiringminds. Find us on Twitter or Facebook and you can send us comments, feedback, future guest ideas, or anything else you'd like to inquiringminds at climatedesk.org. Inquiring Minds is produced by Adam Isaac in cooperation with the Climate Desk, a journalistic collaboration in partnership with many media outlets. Our music is provided by award-winning producer Rian Sheehan. And I'm your host, Kishore Hari. You can find me online at Science Quiche. Indre will be back next week. See you then. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.